It's really good to be with you this morning. I'm, it really is. I was here, not that I expect you to remember, but I was here four years ago uh, preaching on what is known as Associate Pastor Sunday. That's the one right after Christmas and right before New Year's. Um, and it was a joy then. It's a joy now. I bring you greetings from Engaging Disability with the Gospel and also from New Life Presbyterian in Escondido, which is where our family worships. And I am excited uh, to be thinking with you about a passage of scripture that continues to uh, just, I'm just marvel at it. It's, 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 it's often called the blessing in a worship service or the benediction coming at the end of the service. Uh, that's the word you use in your, in your worship bulletin, the benediction. So before I start though, I'm going to raise this up just a little bit, okay? Or maybe just a lot of it. Um, so, so we want to, I want us to think, and we'll be opening our Bibles in just a minute to think about this, this passage of scripture that's often called the benediction. Uh, benediction is a 25 cent word, right? It's a big theological word. It comes from Latin, uh, and it means good word. It's pretty, when you think about it, you break it down, benny, like benefit, right? That's something good. And diction, like speech, right? It's a good, so the benediction is a good word that comes to us at the end of the service. It's opposite. The opposite of a benediction would be a malediction a, or a bad word um, or a curse, you could think of. In uh, 2011, Martin Scorsese actually made a children's movie. You know, not something you'd think of from him, but he made a children's movie called Hugo. He made it for his grandchildren. His wife challenged him and said, you should make a movie that your grandkids can watch. So he made a movie called Hugo. And in that movie, one of the central characters, uh, anytime that something bad or upsetting happens to him, rather than cursing, saying curse words, he actually says the literal word malediction. So that's what he says when he stubs his toe or whatever. Malediction, right? Um, so that just helps us understand sort of the contrast, the malediction, a benediction, a good, a good word. I think it's fair to say that, that all of us grow up wanting to hear a good word, a benediction, if you will, a blessing from our fathers, don't we? We, we grow up longing to hear them say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Some of you here today grew up in homes where you heard those words often, and you know the joy of that kind of affirmation. On the other hand, you may have grown up in a home where you heard something more like a malediction from your father, and that has been hard, difficult, and most likely has left scars on your heart. I grew up somewhere sort of in the middle of that, uh, my family's roots are Northern European, so expressions of affection don't come naturally to us. Um, it's not a regular part of family life. We, we were more like uh, the stoic Norwegian farmer who, as his 50th wedding anniversary was approaching, asked his wife, what would you like on our anniversary? And she said, I just want to hear that you love me. And he said, I told you on our wedding day that I love you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? So it's not an absence of love, really. It's just uh, there's not a lot of verbal or physical expressions of love. So that sort of characterized my home uh, growing up. Although Dad and I are working to correct that as we age, both age. 
I think our longing to hear that, that benediction from our earthly fathers is really just a pointer to our deeper need to hear a good word from our Father in heaven. And that's what we're going to hear this morning, a good word from our Father in heaven. So I would encourage you to uh, open up your Bibles, your apps, or your bulletin to look at Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. As we first read this good word and then think together about its significance. So Numbers 6, 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is God's word. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I think because this is probably familiar to all of us here, we tend to overlook just how surprising that word is, especially where it's coming in Scripture. Because quite frankly, based on the actions of both Aaron and Israel, I would have expected God to pronounce a malediction on them at this point in their history. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives them these words of blessing. So I want to explore that a little bit. We're going to think about really sort of the context and the content of this, of this benediction. And we're going to do that by thinking first about Aaron. Then we're going to think about Israel as a whole. And then last, we'll think about why these words are exactly what we need to hear today. All right? So first we'll think about Aaron, then Israel, and then really why these words are so important to you and me. So let's think about Aaron, right? Because this is, Aaron's the one who's called out to pronounce this, this benediction, this blessing, right? The Lord selects Aaron and says, Aaron, you and your descendants are good. But Aaron, initially, you're the person who's going to pronounce this blessing over the Israelites. I find that remarkable, I find it remarkable because, as I said, of Aaron's behavior. So I have to just sort of summarize uh, a lot of scripture for you here. But you might remember that that Aaron is the brother, or was the brother, is. I'll say is. God is God of the living. God is the brother of Moses. Aaron's the brother of Moses. Right? And, and, And God called Moses, really from being a shepherd, to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and to demand the release of the Israelites. And in that whole exchange, you may remember that Moses, you know, God calls Moses, and Moses did not say yes right away, right? He, he gave the Lord several excuses, several reasons why he was not the one. Lord, I can't, you know, no, you got the wrong guy. And, and chief among his reasons why he could not do this, he, he said to the Lord, Lord, I have a speech impediment. He uses the language, he says, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Do you remember how the Lord sort of handled that? Right? He said, no problem, Moses, right? I'll just appoint your brother Aaron to be your press secretary. You just tell Aaron what to say, and he'll speak on your behalf. So in, that, in, in just an instant, Aaron was suddenly catapulted uh, from being a slave to a person of influence. Just like that. From a slave to a person of influence. Which, of course, made him an easy target, Right? 
as, as anyone who is in a position of any kind of influence knows. Now, this is just a complete sidebar, but because of my work with engaging disability, I love the fact that the Lord did not take Moses out of the game because of a speech impediment. But instead, he put support system around him so that he could serve in the church and serve God's people, right? Which is, I think is a beautiful picture of, of how we can respond uh, when there are exceptional needs in our congregation. That's just a sidebar. Getting back to, to, to Aaron, though. If you follow through the narrative, you read in Exodus 16 that it was just, four, just 45 days after the people of Israel had been set free from Egypt through the Red Sea, they begin grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Just 45 days, right? Like I would say, if I had been there, I, you know, I would never lack faith. But it was just 45 days later. They're grumbling, they're complaining against Moses and Aaron. And then a few weeks after that, the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, where the Lord graciously made a covenant with them. Now that covenant had promises It also had stipulations. The promise was that from the Lord said, I will bless you. I'll make you a holy nation, my treasured possession. The stipulations were this, obey these commandments. We think of them, the summary form of the Ten Commandments, right? That's where they receive the Ten Commandments. And so the Israelites respond to this wholeheartedly. They say, we will do everything, everything that the Lord has said. After that, Moses goes up on the mountain really to get sort of further instructions. He's gone for 40 days. And in his absence, the people of Israel came to Aaron and demanded that he make for them an idol, the idol to worship. And Aaron agreed. That alone maybe should disqualify him. Now, we're not told why it is that he agreed to their demands, right? But I imagine it had something to do with wanting their approval, with wanting to stay in this leadership role. Um, So just making the idol alone was bad enough, but it was in rereading the details that I realized just how how absolutely wishy-washy Aaron was. Um, In rereading the wording of Exodus 32.4, it just makes it really, it makes, there it makes it really clear that Aaron violated the second of the Ten Commandments. The second commandment says, you shall not make an idol. It, and, and, and Aaron, it tells us in the narrative, he, he took this gold from the, from the people and then he melted it down. Excuse me. And it says, with tools, and this is important, with tools, he fashioned an idol in the form of a calf. Right, so Aaron's, Aaron's totally complicit. Like he did this. He made it. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and confronts him. And I'm, I'm, this is my, this is not the authorized translation, but I'm going to give you my, my version of, of this dialogue. He, Moses asks Aaron, what, what in the world? What, what's going on? What did you do? And Aaron responds, he says, it's true. The people asked for an idol. I collected their gold. I put their gold in the fire. And then, poof, a sculpture of a calf just appeared. That's really what he's saying. He denies all culpability, and he's implying there's magic involved here, Moses. It wasn't me. And this is the guy that God picked to pronounce a blessing on his people. I find it utterly remarkable It is not what we would expect. 
Because there was no, at that point, there was nothing Aaron could have done to make himself right with God. He just blew it at so many different levels. But in the very words of this blessing that, that Aaron was to pronounce, Aaron himself was assured that God would forgive him and bless him. If nothing else, this proves, friends, that God is the God of messed up people. Like me, probably like you. And that's good news. So that's Aaron. Let's, let's pause for a moment and just think about the words of the blessing then. Why it was so powerful for Aaron. I think you can break the blessing down into, into sort of two main features. The first one is that God is really telling Aaron and the Israelites, look, I delight in you. I love you. The second thing he's saying here is really, and this is the guarding and the keeping language, that he's promising to bend all the power of the universe to bring about good for his people. He loves them, and he's going to bend all the power of the universe to bring about good for his people. Right? So, so in, the, in, the, in, in the promise it's, that's here on the wall, in the, in the blessing, God was promising Aaron that he would show him grace, right? He would be gracious to him. That he would forgive his sin and his rebellion. And that rather than turning away from Aaron in anger, rather than pronouncing a malediction, he would turn his face toward Aaron and smile on him. And what is more, the Lord is promising there that he was going to keep Aaron and the Israelites. Right? That he's going to, the language there is really beautiful. He's going to watch over them. He's going to guard them. With the end result being peace, which is that beautiful Hebrew word shalom. And it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It really means fullness of life of a life in union and harmony with God. That's what he's promising Aaron in this blessing. Now, I'm not a a grammar geek at all, but it's important for you and for me to know that the grammar of this blessing makes it clear that this isn't just a wish on God's part. He's not saying, well, you know, I wish that this might happen to you. No, it's it's a declaration from God of what is sure to be, that he's going to do this. It will be accomplished. So after his major screw-up, Aaron needed that blessing. You know, no amount of self-talk was going to erase what he had done, right? No amount of resume padding could make him right with God. He needed God's grace, and he received it. And that is amazing. Let's think about the Israelites then, right? They needed this blessing as well, didn't they? I mean, they, 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 they compelled Aaron to make this calf, which to us might seem, I mean, we know it's wrong because the Ten Commandments, it might seem a little distant. It, I'm guessing that probably no one in this room has done something quite like that. But really, they were returning to what they knew from Egypt, the, the, the pagan worship they knew from Egypt. And the whole idea here is that when you make this idol, it's a way for you to manipulate the deities. It's, it, in an, put another way, it's really a way for you to extract blessing from the deities. That's what they were trying to do. Like They were trying to extract blessing, and they did it in this way. But because it violated the covenant, which they heartily agreed to, remember, they were really acting like, like petulant children, 
who, the, the kind of petulant children who tell their parents, I hate you. I want a different mom and dad, and then they, they run away. But in their actions and their words, this is functionally what Israel was saying and doing to the Lord. Again, I would have expected the Lord to say something like, go ahead. I hope that works out for you, right? You want, you want a different God, you could go for it. See, it. see how that works out. They, they deserved also a malediction, not a benediction. They obviously needed forgiveness. They, and they needed to know that the Lord was looking on them in favor and they needed to know that he would guard and keep them because they were about to set out from that mountain and head into a land that the Lord had promised to them. And they were just a ragtag group of slaves. They were not well armed. They were not well trained. And they were going up against fortified cities with, and nation states that had well-equipped and well-trained armies. If that was you, wouldn't you want to know that the creator of the universe was on your side, right? That he was with you and for you. In a word, friends, they needed to know that the Lord was going to bring them home to the home he had promised them. And that's really what he's doing in this blessing. And did you notice that at the end, after the words of the blessing, right? In verse 27, God says he's putting his name on the Israelites, that he's putting his name on them. Think about that for a minute, right? Like when you go back to school, especially, you know, kids, when you go back to school, you put your name on your stuff, don't you? You put your name on your stuff. Why do you do that? Well, it sort of protects, sort of protects your stuff, doesn't it? So that no one else can take it, or if it's lost, it can be found and it can be returned. If something is valuable to us, we put, we, we put our name or contact information on it. I love to play disc golf. I have my name and phone number on, on all of my discs because I'm horrible at disc golf. And I often lose my discs. And I hope somebody will find them and call me and, and give them back to me. Um, we, with something's valuable to us, we put our name and contact information on it. God put his name on the Israelites because they were the object of his affection. Think about the opposite scenario for a minute. Again, this, these contrasts help us. Right? Think about those times when you were embarrassed to be with somebody else or they were embarrassed to be with you. God is making it clear through this blessing that he was not embarrassed by the Israelites. He was not ashamed of them. He was proud to say that they were his children, his people. Why? Well, it's not because they had lived such virtuous lives. It's because he had made them lovely. See, they were trying to extract blessing from deity, and it's really clear in the language here. They didn't earn this blessing. They didn't extract anything. The Lord gave it to them. Four times it says, the Lord is the one who is doing the blessing. He's doing the blessing. And because they knew then that they were loved by God, that they were part of his family, they could be confident that he would bring them home. That he would bring them home. All this then begs the question, how could God forgive Aaron? How could God forgive the Israelites? 
As we read the pages of scripture, we realize that he gave them the whole system of worship and the sacrificial system that was part of it. But ultimately, we know that all of that pointed ahead from their point of view to Jesus Christ. It pointed ahead to the reality that the Son of God would come down here to earth to stand in their place and receive the malediction that they deserved. Jesus was unblessed so that they could be blessed. That's how it all happened. So what does that mean for you and me this morning? I mean, I think these words are beautiful. I think they're amazing. I think it's exactly what we need to hear. Because isn't it true that so often we find ourselves trying to sort of conjure up blessing from our own efforts? Isn't that where we look often? Sort of our default setting for blessing, conjuring it up on our own efforts. Uh, I think it's, I know it's a little bit past now, but there was that whole trend that you still see remnants of on social media with the hashtag blessed, right, after things. And so often, so often that hashtag blessed uh, had to do with things that were, were circumstantial, right? Just had a great trip to Hawaii, hashtag blessed. Just bought my first BMW, hashtag blessed, right? Um, there, there were more meaningful ones, but it's that idea that it, it's, it's stuff and, and experiences, things that we tend to conjure up. But like Aaron and like the Israelites, friends, we're, we're messed up people, we said it in our prayer. I love the prayer of confession from our brothers and sisters in Iran. It acknowledged as much, right? We said, we confessed that deep down, we know that we are not as virtuous as we want to be. Deep down, we know that we're not as virtuous as we ought to be. Now, I, I'm sure Aaron wanted to be faithful to the Lord, but under pressure, he wasn't. So, so what's the point of all this? It, the point is we cannot bless ourselves. We can't do it. Blessing has to come to us from the outside. Now I have to acknowledge because it's all over scripture and you just went through a series on the, on the one another's, right? It's true that we are called to bless others. We are. And that means that other people have that ability to bless us. It's part of the one anothering, right? People have the ability to assure us of their love, to show us kindness, to speak a good word to us. And I do not want to diminish the significance or the importance of that at all. But it is true that all of those blessings that are on the human relational level are conditional, often driven by circumstances and ultimately tempered by death. We need to know, we need to know, friends, that the eternal creator of the universe, the Lord himself, we need to know that he looks on us with a smile. You need to know that he looks on you with a smile, that he loves you, that he's not ashamed of you, and that he will bring you home. And it's in Jesus, friends, that we receive that blessing. It's said before, Jesus received the malediction, the curse, the covenant curse, so that we can receive best benediction or blessing. Jesus was unblessed so that we can be blessed. It happened on the cross. We read that he became sin for us, right? Like our sin, he took upon himself. He identified with it. And in doing that, we read that the father turned away from the son, turned his face away from Jesus, 
That's when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus had become sin. He took on your sin and my sin. And God turned away his face. Why? So that you and I will never, ever have to experience being God forsaken. When we put our faith in Christ as the one who stood in our place, we have peace with God. That's what Paul said in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as he did with the Israelites, God today puts his name on us. We did it this morning in baptism, right? Baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God puts his name on us. He assures us through his word that we are adopted into his family, that we are his children, that he loves us. He tells us we're his children. He's proud of us. He tells us that he's not ashamed of us. And God has promised all of us, that he will bring us home. And home for us is not a plot of land in the Middle East, but instead to what that land was pointing to, right? To being with the Lord in heaven. That's why Jesus promised his disciples and us in John 14, the truth of that, right? He said, in my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you home to myself that where I am, you may also be. It's a promise. He's gonna bring us home. So brothers and sisters, this morning, no matter what the circumstances of your life may be, be assured that if you are trusting in Christ, as the one who alone can make you right with God, who alone can secure God's blessing for you, then you can be sure that God loves you and that he will bring you home. And that's good news, isn't it? You know, our desire to have our earthly father bless us is good and it's real. But our our dads can't live up to the weight of our expectations. And even if they tell us over and over that they love us and they're proud of us, it, it will never be enough. Their blessings can't make us right with our heavenly father, but Jesus can. There are some familiar faces to me in this room, but a lot of you I don't know. So I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but I want to encourage you this morning, if you, if you haven't yet come to a place in your life where you've, where you've come to know Jesus as, the, as your Savior, the one who can make you right with God the Father, I want to encourage you this morning to trust him and to follow him all the way. And if that's something you want to know more about, I'll be here for a little bit, but more importantly, Pastor Omar will be here and Chad will be here and others, and you can talk with them as well and learn more about that. Come to trust him, follow him. So as we come now to the Lord's Supper, this table reminds us that that like the Israelites, we've looked to false gods for blessing and we need his grace. The table reminds us that Jesus was unblessed, so that we can receive God's blessing and his shalom. And this table reminds us that our Father will bring us home. It's good news this morning. There are words that we long to hear, right? Words that we need to hear, amen? Amen, all right, let me pray, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, humbly come before you this morning in the light of the powerful words from number six. Familiar words, words that maybe we've just kind of blown by because we 
heard them so often, but we thank you that we could pause and hang out a little together this morning and think about the beauty of this blessing that you bestow on your people. You give it to them. And like Aaron the Israelites, we, and we confess it. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But you freely and graciously give it to us in Jesus Christ. We are so, so, so very thankful that Jesus came and stood in our place. That he took our sin record upon himself. That he was unblessed so that we could be blessed. That he then gives us his record of perfect obedience. And that you look on us now with favor. Call us your children. You put your name on us. You adopt us into your family. And we receive your blessing because of it. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so good. We love you so much. Thank you again. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. As uh, Kevin was preaching, it occurred to me that